Chapter 11, Part 1 of Glimpses of Italian Society in the 18th Century by Hester Lynch Piozzi. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Return to Milan. Loretto. The richest treasures of Europe stand in the most delicious district of it. The number of beggars offended me because I hold it next to impossibility that they should want in a country so luxuriantly abundant, and their prostrations as they kneel and kiss the ground before you are more calculated to produce disgust from British travellers than compassion. Nor can I think these vagabonds distressed in earnest. At this time, above all others, when their sovereign provides them with employment on the beautiful new road he is making, and insists on their being well paid, who are found willing to work. But the town itself of Loretto claims my attention. So clear are its streets, so numerous and cheerful and industrious are its inhabitants. One would think they had resolved to rob passengers of the trite remark which the sight of dead wealth always inspires, that the money might be better bestowed upon the living poor. For here there are very few poor families, and fewer idlers than one expects to see in a place where not business but devotion is the leading characteristic. So quiet, too, and inoffensive are the folks here, that scarcely any robberies or murders or any but very petty infringements of the law are ever committed among them. Yet people grieve to see that wealth collected which once diffused would certainly make many happy and those treasures lying dead which well dispersed might keep thousands alive. It was curious to see the devotees dragged themselves round the holy house upon their knees. But the Santa Scala at Rome had shown me the same operation performed with more difficulty, and a written injunction at bottom, less agreeable for Italians to comply with than any possible prostration, namely, that no one should spit as he went up or down, except in his pocket-handkerchief. The lamps which burn night and day before the black image here at Loretto are of solid gold, and there is such a crowd of them I scarcely could see the figure for my own part, and that one may see still less the attendant cannons throw a veil over one's face going in. The confessionals, where all may be heard in their own language, is not peculiar to this church. I met with it somewhere else, but have forgotten where though I much esteemed the establishment. It is very entertaining here, too, to see inscriptions in twelve different tongues, giving an account of the miraculous removal and arrival here at the Santa Casa. I was delighted with the Welsh one, and our conductor said there came not unfrequently pilgrims from the Vale of Quid, who in their turns told the wonders of their holy well. I told a learned ecclesiastic at Rome that we should return home by the way of Loretto. There is no need, said he, to caution a native of your island against credulity, but pray do not believe that we are ourselves satisfied with the tale you will read there. No man of learning but knows that Adrian destroyed every trace and vestige of Christianity that he could find in the East 
and he was acute and diligent and powerful. The Empress Helena, long after him, with piety that equalled even his profaneness, could never hear of this holy house. How then should it have waited till so many long years after Jesus Christ? Truth is, Pope Boniface the Eighth, who canonised St. Louis, who instituted the Jubilee, who quarrelled with Philippe le Bel about a new crusade, and who at last fretted himself to death, though he had conquered all his enemies, because he feared some loss of power to the Church, desired to give mankind a new object of attention, and encouraged an old visionary in the year 1296 to propagate the tale he half-believed himself, how the Blessed Virgin had appeared to him, and related the story you will read upon the walls, which was then first committed to paper. In consequence of this intelligence, Boniface sent men into the East that he could best depend upon, and they brought back just such particulars as would best please the Pope. And in those days you can scarce think how quick the blaze of superstition caught and communicated itself. No one wished to deny what his neighbour was willing to believe, and what he himself would then have gained no credit by contradicting. Positive evidence of what the house really was, or whence it came, it was in a few years impossible to obtain. Nor did Boniface the Eighth know it himself, I suppose, much less the old visionary who first set the matter a-going. Meantime, the house itself has no foundation, whatever the story may have. It is a very singular house, as you may see. It has been venerated by the best and wisest among Christians now for five hundred years. Even the Turks, who have the same method of honouring their prophet with gifts as we do the Virgin Mary, respect the very name of Loretto. Why, then, should the place be to any order of thinking beings a just object of insult or mockery? Here he ended his discourse, the recollection of which never left me whilst we remained at the place. But we must leave Loretto to proceed along the side of this lovely sea, hearing the pilgrims sing most sweetly as they go along in troops towards the town, with now and then a female voice peculiarly distinguished from the rest. By this means a new image is presented to one's mind. The sight of such figures, too, half alarm the fancy and give an air of distance from England, which nothing has hitherto inspired half so strongly. This charming Adriatic gulf, beside, though more than delicious to drive by, does not, like the Mediterranean, convey homish or familiar ideas. One feels that it belongs exclusively to Venice. One knows that ancient Greece is on the opposite shore, here are plenty of nightingales, but they do not sing as well as in Hertfordshire. Birds gain in colour as you approach the tropic, but they lose in song. Under the torrid zone I have heard they never sing at all. With us in England, the latest leave off by midsummer, when the work of incubation goes forward and the parental duties begin. The nightingale, too, chooses the coolest hour and though I have yet heard her in Italy only sing in the mornings, Virgil knew she sung in the night.
to hear birds it is however indispensably necessary that there should be high trees and except in these parts of italy and those about genoa and siena no timber of any good growth can i find the roccolo too and other methods taken to catch small birds which many delight in eating and more in taking lessen the quantity of natural music vexatiously enough while gaudy insects ill supplied their place and sharpen their stings at pleasure when deprived of their greatest enemies we are here less tormented than usual however while the prospects are varied so that every look produces a new and beautiful landscape ancona ancona is a town perfectly agreeable to strangers from the good humour with which every nation is received and every religion patiently endured here are good fish and to say true everything eatable as much imperfection as possible i could never since i arrived at turin find real cause of complaint serious complaint i mean except at that savage-looking place called Larigofani and some other petty town in tuscany near siena where i ate too many eggs and grapes because there was nothing else nice accommodations must not be looked for and need not be regretted where so much amusement during the day gives one good disposition to sleep sound at night the worst is men and women servants and masters must often mess together and if one frets about such things it is better to stay at home the italians like travelling in england no better than the english do travelling in italy whilst an exorbitant expense is incurred by the journey not well repaid to them by the waiters white chitlins tambour waistcoats and independent no sir echoed round a well-furnished inn or tavern which puts them but in the place of socrates at the fair who cried out how many things have these people gathered together that i do not want a noble florentine complained exceedingly to me once of the english hotels where he was made to help pay for those good gold watches the fellows who attended him drew from their pockets so he set up his quarters comically enough at the wagoner's full moon upon the old bridget bath to be quit at the schiavitu as he called it of living like a gentleman where he says i am not known to be one the truth is a continental nobleman can have little heart of a country where to be treated as a man of fashion he must absolutely behave as such his rank is ascertained at home and people's deportment to him regulated by long-established customs nor can it be supposed flattering to its prejudices to feel himself jostled in the street or driven against upon the road by a rich trader while he is contriving the cheapest method of going to look over his manufactory wealth diffused makes all men comfortable and leaves no man splendid gives everybody two dishes but nobody two hundred objects of show are therefore unfrequent in england and a foreigner who travels through our country in search of positive sights will after much money spent go home but poorly entertained there is neither carissima 
will he say nor carnavale in any sense of the word among those insipid islanders for he who does not love our government and taste our manners which result from it can never be delighted in england while the inhabitants of our nation may always be amused in theirs without any esteem of it at all i know not how ancona produced all these tedious reflections it is a trading place and a seaport town men working in chains upon the new mole did not please me though and their insensibility shocks one give a poor thief something master says one impudent fellow son stato ladro padrone note i'm a light-fingered fellow master End note, with a grin that such people should be corrupt or coarse however is no wonder what surprised me most was that when one of our company spoke of this conduct to a man of the town well what would you have sir replies the person applied to when the poor creature is castigato it is enough sure no need to make him be melancholy too and added with true italian good nature siamo tutti peccatori note we are all sinners you know End note. Padua. we dined at a lovely villa belonging to an amiable friend upon the margin of the river where the kind embraces of the padrona di casa added to the fragrance of her garden and a sweet breath of oxen drawing in her team revived me once more to the enjoyment of cheerful conversation by restoring my natural health and proving beyond a possibility of doubt that my late disorder was of the putrid kind we dined in a grotto-like room and partook the evening refreshments cake ice and lemonade under a tree by the riverside whilst my own feelings reminded me of the sailor's delight described in anson's voyages when they landed at juan fernandez night was best disposed of in the barge and i observed as we entered padua early in the morning how surprisingly quick had been the progress of summer but in these countries vegetation is so rapid that everything makes haste to come and more to go scarce have you tasted green peas or strawberries before they are out of season and if you do not swallow your pleasures as madame la presidente said you will have a chance to miss of getting any pleasures at all here is no mediocrity in anything no moderate weather no middle rank of life no twilight whatever is not night is day and whatever is not love is hatred and that the english should eat peaches in may and green peas in october sounds to italian ears as a miracle they comfort themselves however by saying that they must be very insipid while we know that fruits forced by strong fire are at least many of them higher in flavour than those produced by sun the pineapple particularly which west indians confess eats better with us than with them figs and cherries however defy a hothouse and grapes raised by art are worth little except for show 
peaches nectarines and ananas are the glory of a british gardener and no country but england can show such our morning passed at the villa of the senator quirini set us on this train of thinking for every culled excellence adorned it and brought to my mind voltaire's description of pococaranti in candide faults only in the ostentation and there the character fails misled by a french idea that pleasure is nothing without the delight of showing that you are pleased like the old adage or often quoted passage about learning Shire tuum nihil est nisi te shire hoc sciat alter note thy knowledge is nothing till other men know that thou knowest it End note. a venetian has no such notions by force of mind and dint of elegance inherent in it he pleases himself first and finds everybody else delighted of course nor would quit his own country except for paradise while an english nobleman clumps his trees and twists his river to comply with his neighbour's taste when perhaps he has none of his own and feels disgusted with all he has done and runs away to live in italy the evening of this day was spent at the theatre where i was glad the audience were no better pleased for the plaudits of an italian platier at an air they like when one's nerves are weak and the weather very hot are all but totally insupportable end of chapter eleven part one